I thought people don't want this. And I was like retired. I thought I wasn't going to do this anymore. I was going to help my son. I was going to go into teaching. Um, but people started asking me like from my community, Hey, can you help us do this? We don't want to hire lawyers. We know you were one. Can you look at our stuff for us? When I speak to any of my girlfriends where I'm doing the parenting, you know, the coaching <clears throat> and they're bitter, they're angry, they're upset. And I'll say to them, if I handed you this amount of cash, right? Mm. Would you still be feeling this bitterness or this vengefulness? And they say, no. Namaste, amigos. This is Vanessa and Aisha, two wildly passionate women coming to you from opposite sides of the world, Australia and Mexico. This podcast is for you, about you, all of us, all women from all walks of lives, sharing our stories, our truths, our struggles as we uplift, transform, break boundaries, and grow. Hi guys, welcome to Namaste Amigos. We are super excited for this show. This is the ugly side of divorce. Today we have Regina DeAngelis. She has been an 18 years traditional family practice lawyer, five years in mediation, and today she has a new coaching process to get people through their dissolution of marriage without the trauma of divorce. And uh, we have a million questions for you. But before we get started, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and jump right in with why is divorce so ugly and why is our system so flawed? Gosh, I love it. We, I'm so happy to be here and I can jabber on about this forever. So please like interrupt me whenever um, because I'm really passionate about this. The more I've been involved in this system, like really my entire adult life, I've been a divorce professional in one way or another. And the, so I'm, you know, like you said, 18 years traditional family practice. The last five is mediation practice. And I got out of the traditional practice because as I got older and my own life, you know, things happen. I have a son with a disability and he was getting sicker. I went through my own divorce with, you know, I will say a narcissist who really is, was not on board with um, the idea of dissolving our marriage in a way that was going to benefit the kids. He was more of the mindset like Aisha said, like you wanted this divorce, so it's it's got to be this way. And now, you know, we all have to suffer. And um, after going through that, what I was like so infuriated by that process because what I learned in those eighteen years of traditional process is that two good divorce attorneys who have the best interests of the families in mind can wrap up your divorce. When I tell you in thirty five minutes, I'm not exaggerating like what? every case is the give same me the number give me the give you <laughs> i tell you if they're dragging on for 18 months it's purely to bleed you dry and because we all you know it depends on your jurisdiction right so like i don't know what it's like in australia in this i'm in the philadelphia uh, metropolitan area and i mean there's millions of people that live here it does not matter what their um you know, how much money they have, it 
it is a percentage. It's a math game. And the lawyers know that. They know what the best case scenario is going to be in court. And they know what the worst case scenario is going to be. And depending on the judge, they might be able to tell you literally exactly what that judge is going to decide. And they don't tell the families that. So after seeing all that and seeing the money that's wasted in that process, when the lawyers know, it's like the last people to know are the ones who's Mm -hmm. most important in the process, right? Um, I thought people don't want this. And I was like retired. I thought I wasn't going to do this anymore. I was going to help my son. I was going to go into teaching. Um, But people started asking me like from my community, hey, can you help us do this? We don't want to hire lawyers. We know you were one. Can you look at our stuff for us? And it really grew organically from there. Um, But in the process, I've developed a passion for sort of educating people on why the process is so ugly in the first place, because I think that's where we need to start to be able to understand, to be able to have change. It's like we have to understand how we got here a little bit. Absolutely. I think without awareness, you know, there is no change, I guess, you know. Right. And, so, and speaking, speaking to you, Regina, sorry to cut you off. Uh, I love the fact that when we were speaking prior to the interview, you were mentioning that you also tackle the emotional side of it, which a lot of people don't realize, you know, you must go through that to um, giving it space and giving it time, giving it understanding, you know, I, and I like that about that. You. Yeah, that was a critical part of my the process that I developed that is really, you know, started out as a live mediations, like what the kind of the awareness that I was trying to bring to my clients in person. And then it's what I've built into the course that I developed, because that is what you do not get. You know, if you, if you are filing for divorce, it immediately becomes ugly because you go from like literally Tuesday, you were a family, but Wednesday you file for divorce and now you're adversaries. You become plaintiff and defendant. And the lawyer's job is not to look out for the family or the emotional turmoil that everyone's in. Their, their job ethically, and this is part of why I think the, the system is so broken, the rules of legal ethics require that lawyer to only look out for the one party. And so if that party is not thinking rationally because they're so wrapped up in anger and fear and bitterness that they're instructing that attorney to, you know, I want to kick her out of the house. I want to make sure that I don't pay her one dime more in child support. Even though that's obviously not best for the family, the attorney is ethically obligated to say, okay, I'll file the paperwork and go down that road. And they don't do any of the emotional support. There's no awareness of how much more trauma we are inflicting by the process itself, which is already sad. Like it's going to be sad and heartbreaking regardless, but now we're adding emotional trauma and anger and fear and bitterness on top of that. Absolutely. And, um, and, you know, it's funny because when I speak to any of my girlfriends where I'm doing the parenting, you know, the coaching and they're bitter, they're angry, they're upset. And I'll say to them, if I handed you this amount of cash, right, Mm -hmm. would you still be feeling this bitterness or this vengefulness? And they say, no. And, and it made me realize 
the moment both of those parties, right, have a sense of security, safety, stability, right, those power plays actually go because they feel secure, whether the man feels secure having, okay, I have access to my child, you know, exactly. I, I can see them and talk to them whenever I want. And when the, when the woman feels like, okay, I'm financially stable, I'm good, I'm going to be looked after. When you both are coming from a place of stability, it's a whole different dynamic. That's literally, it's, you hit the nail 100% on the head. And that's what, you know, you might have girlfriends or clients who said, you know, I just served them with divorce papers. And I like, that's the most um, incorrect thing to do, because at least where I am, and probably pretty much everywhere, when you get served with legal papers, number one, a lot of places, they still will like knock on your door and hand you the papers, which um, but they also have this incredibly scary um, legal cover sheet on top that tells you that you are being sued, that if you don't act immediately, you could you lose your rights to your child, you could lose your assets. And you really, you know, I think the bad family law attorneys just will say, OK, I'm filing the paperwork and they mail it off. Um, but what I found in my traditional practice is that even when I tried to soften that blow with a letter on the top saying we intend to proceed amicably, I know I did not say that amicably, and um, we urge you to take this to your attorney so that we can start negotiations. The second two attorneys are involved, the parties, what little communication they do have goes away. And that's when the expense goes through the roof and people start feeling like they can't trust themselves to make their own decisions because you're paying this lawyer a whole bunch of money and you're going to do what they say. And, and so I think the system is really broken from the get-go where the lawyer's job is to represent one person and the other and not think about the family as a whole. So let me, let, let me ask you something, Regina. So because what I'm hearing you say is, is something that's very obvious in the system, but how do you then go about it without obviously the ego is getting in the way? Because obviously I agree with Aisha and in a, in a perfect world, there is two people, adults with mm -hmm. kids, they don't want to hurt their kids, but let's say one has cheated on the other and right. now you've got a, a, a broken ego, you have a broken heart, um, you have kids, so there's vengefulness and or one person wants to get divorced and the other one doesn't. And yeah. so now you still have egos that are and people that are broken hearted. And so how do you get people on the same page with divorce lawyers that are not yeah. Um, educated to to come together and, and say, hey, let's let's sit and talk about it before going yeah. to six hundred dollars an hour. And yeah, I don't think the system's not not set up to keep people from going to that place. So and that's why I'm blasting um, you know, social media as much as possible to, uh, to educate people that there is a way to do it, but it really has to, it really starts with your very first question, which is why is it so ugly in the first place? And really educating people on two things um, at the outset, at the very first conversation, which is number one, you are operating out of social conditioning 
that goes so deep into our psyches, um, literally goes back to the middle ages, right? To the divorce was taboo. And that was because women would have been helpless and dying on the streets if they weren't tied to a man. And so a woman couldn't be divorced. A man who wanted to divorce somebody would have been seen as failing on every possible level, like abandoning his family. So they stay. A woman couldn't get divorced because she knew it would mean it would mean social ostracizing for her and her children. And so they were stuck. And then when people finally, you know, what I'm talking about, like into the late 1800s and to the mid 1900s in the United States, when we finally had no fault divorce prior to that, up until 1960, Pennsylvania didn't have no fault divorce until 1982. Um, Prior to that, you could not get divorced without literally proving fault in a court of law. So you had to accuse somebody of being abusive, being an alcoholic, being um, impotent. Like you had to literally attack them in a public forum to be able to get your freedom. And so when we instituted no fault divorce, we didn't change the system. We literally just changed the wording of the law. So the ego piece gets immediately under attack. You're filing for divorce. Everybody, it's got to be victim and villain. And how do we go from there? And so in avoiding that, you either need a really good mediator or somebody like me who's going to talk everybody off the ledge and really start with 21st century um, emotional intelligence principles. Get people to understand, look, if she had an affair, there, you can't, you're not actually happy either. Like we don't wake up one day and say, Hey, I think I'm going to blow my life into smithereens and, and go have an affair. Like you've got to be in a pretty deep place of emotional abandonment. And if you're there, the other person isn't, is there too. And what I say to my clients, and this makes my, um, you know, I deal with narcissists. I'm in the middle of one where she had an affair right now and he's hanging in there with the mediation. But what I say to the women or whoever the non-narcissist party is, is that we have, this has to be about you, not them. We have to go into this mediation and say, we understand husband that you worked your tail off and you did everything that you thought you were supposed to do. And it was really me who changed. I changed what I expected or wanted for myself. And so you have to like, absolve them of the blame and the shame at that first meeting early, early on. Um, And then once we get there to a level of acceptance that, you know, it's the 21st century, we continue to evolve as humans. And sometimes that means our relationships evolve. Um, And to Aisha's point, the men are so often terrified. They're terrified of losing their money, but they're also terrified of losing their family and this picture that they had in their head. Um, and so very early on in the process, before we talk about assets, before we do anything financial, we assure them that going through a process that's reducing the trauma is going to preserve their family. Like when they get done, they're still going to be able to be a team for their kids. They're still going to be able to co-parent effectively. 
meet each other's significant others. It's really been amazing the results that I've seen with um, people who thought that they hated each other before they came through the process. So to understand correctly, your process really starts before you actually really go into the divorce and what it's about to take place prior to assets and custody and all that, correct? We start, so people call me when they want a divorce, right? They're looking, we want a divorce. Um, We don't know where to even start. And so their expectation is that I'm going to say, okay, we're going to file the divorce paperwork. But I say, oh, no, 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 we're filing nothing. We're going to figure all of this out. Um, And to your question, Vanessa, about like women who are financially dependent, I, my clients stay in the same house and they keep the financial status quo, which means we're still using that joint checking account. We are paying the bills like we always did. But the man has some level of security because while they're in that house, we're setting up the guidelines. So, okay, are we not going to spend more than $500 without running it by Regina or somebody else? Um, If once all the household bills are paid, are we going to split the excess that's in that account while we are figuring out um, parameters for custody? They start living sort of by a custody schedule, even though we're all in the same house. Um, But that's really important because that way nobody feels taken advantage of. It's not, oh, we're getting divorced, but I'm still cooking your dinner and doing your laundry. You know, like we have to set up all new household rules, but you're right. We don't file anything until the very end when they have their full separation agreement, then they take that and the divorce paperwork to the courthouse and everything gets processed all at once. And how long does this process usually last? It depends on the family because sometimes people are happy once we set up that kind of interim, we're in the house, here are the rules scenario. They could live like that for pretty long. I don't recommend they do it for more than six or nine months just because, um, you know, how long can we really do that without resentments rearing up, but um, they need to do it long enough so that they can get through the asset agreement because we need to know with that nest egg what you're coming out with so you can make appropriate housing decisions for yourself. So the longest I've had people do that is about 12 months, about a year, and they were waiting for somebody to graduate from high school. And then they had an agreement like, we, they made their separation agreement. We signed it a year in advance. We signed it, um, but they did not bring it down to the courthouse. Their agreement said, we're going to wait until a year from now. When this date happens, which was the high school graduation date, within 30 days of the high school graduation date, we're going to file the divorce paperwork. We're going to put the house on the market. And all those things fell into place after that. Um. What about for people who have already started um, the legal, yeah. legal proceedings? Um, because I know that this is new for a lot of people and they won't probably even know that this exists. And so a lot of people would have been in the process already and sort of can you still sort of um, catch it in the middle and sort of work through it? 
Yeah, it really, you totally can. Um, and even in this process, it's never a bad thing to have what a lawyer in your back pocket to sort of like fact check me. Like I always say that I'm not going to get offended at all. And your agreement really isn't a good agreement if you've got lingering doubts or questions. So I do my best to answer everything and we go through every scenario, but the lawyers coming to me would still it would basically freeze your um, like hemorrhaging of legal fees because you could be focusing in the container of this process and then really only using your lawyers at the end to say, hey, does this look okay? Are we missing anything? Um, and then come back in to me and say, my lawyer said we need to make this change, you know? So and what about, sorry, Regina, what about if you, say I work with you, right? So mm -hmm. we're on that level and I am sort of like understanding the emotional side. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to get all this down pat, but then the other side, there is just resistance. There is vengeance. Yeah. No, I'm not doing this. Um, and they're going full steam ahead in that direction. How do you sort of come in the yeah. middle with all that? I really do everything I can to try and urge the other party who's in that vengeful place to come on board. Um, and I tease people. I said, you know, usually both parties get on board, but it's not always for the same reasons. The one, and it's usually the woman, comes to me or finds me because she's interested in the emotional piece and reducing the trauma on the family. And then I always say, hey, I don't represent either one of you. So let me call your husband. Let me introduce him. Um, tell him you found me on Facebook or whatever. Let me introduce myself to him. And if they're reluctant because they're full of vengeance and rage, unless they have like money to burn, the financial savings is usually what gets them willing to at least come into those first couple sessions. And then they're, they realize. Yeah. So let me ask you another question. What about um, one of the, cu the couple separate and one of them has moved out of the house? Mm -hmm. Because very few times do you want to live with your ex, right? Yeah. That The one that has checked out, you don't really want him there and he doesn't want to be there or X, yeah. Y, and Z. So how do, you, um, how do you deal with people that want to kind of move forward and, and kind of get separated, but as well want the finances out of the way and and want to give you kind of the bare minimum. How do you stir Yeah, that? it's not bad. It's really what I call this like really a family-centered process. So if they have the financial means or they're willing to take that financial hit of living in two households, then that's not a bad thing. Um, the only time that I think it's not even that it's a bad thing. It might be, it's about the execution of it. Like, I don't think you should ever get up and just like pack your things and get out of your house if there's kids involved, because we need to kind of ease the kids into this idea, or at least that's my goal. So <laughs> Sorry, um, Regina. Did, did, did this happen? Did one of you do that? Did one of you pack up in the middle of the night and just disappear? <laughs> We're, we're both smiling. It, it wasn't in the <laughs> middle of the night. It took me four days because I had to pack a bunch of boxes. It's like a four-day process. It was a four-day process, but I had to get out. But you know what? That's a perfect example of if, if you've got the financial means to do what's best for you, you do what's best for you emotionally. Like that's kind of the key, right? The whole I think, I think that's it. Is I to think, be okay. 
the emotional I, setup it, is important. It, it wasn't also like I woke up one day and I was like, <laughs> I'm going to start packing. Yeah. I, I don't really like my view anymore. <laughs> I think it was, it was, um, and it, it, we've, we've spoken about this in another, in another podcast, but I think that when, when the ship is going down, women, um, tend to communicate in a very, oh my God, the ship is going down mayday, mayday. And the man's like, She's nagging again, and I can't even I can't even talk to her. So yeah. we have such different ways of communicating. Absolutely, that it becomes a toxic environment. And honestly, I, I left after after four days, and he had left the house for for you know those four days to kind of give me breathing space. And I was like, I'm leaving. Yeah, um, and I was leaving thinking that he'd come back and be like, hey, I want my family back. Right. And uh, and that didn't happen because he was hurt at the same time. Yeah. Um, so I think it, it, it plays a lot of on the ego and on the destruction of um, how, how you're seeing your family go down. Yes. Right? It's so sad. And that's the part where, yeah, I mean, there's such sadness and loss involved in that and the loss of expectations and dreams and hopes. And so even when you're the one who knows you want the divorce, you're still dealing with all of that emotion yeah. of loss and like for your future and what you thought was happening. Um, and it's so easy for that to turn on a dime to be like, and if you weren't such an asshole, this wouldn't be happening in the first place, right? Like you'd still be there. No one. And that's kind of how I start um, the webinar. Like nobody wants to be in this place. And so people that come to me are really consciously deciding this is a sucky situation, but we're going to make the best out of it. We're going to try and minimize the damage because we know this marriage can't be saved. We know we're not good together. Um, and that goes to sort of what I tell them to tell the kids, like you don't say anything other than you deserve two happy and healthy parents. And we feel like we are healthier people when we're not living in the same house, but we're always going to be a family for you guys. Uh, take it from there. A little bit touching on that um, with myself on a personal level, right? So I'm a very, I'm a person that sort of likes to go within, assess it myself, take time, really, really disconnect in a certain way energetically. And oh, sort she of froze. my pebble. Am I, am I there? Or You're here I now. Know? I lost you for a second. It might be me. Um, so, yeah. So I sort of take my own time, get into a bubble, and then I feel conflicted with what I'm supposed to do, right? So there is this, this thing like, no, you should be loving each other straight away and we're together and we're doing this. And I'm like, like yeah. my my own instinct tells me I need alone time. I need yeah. to disconnect. I need separation from this relationship. And Absolutely. then I have the responsibility of the children. So there's a conflict going on knowing what I, what does me the best. And then also what I'm trying to do for the kids. Right. right. This is a massive one that I had to deal with. And eventually what I decided to do was invest in myself at First. the start. Yeah. Because it was like, if I'm the primary caretaker and I'm not solid in who I am, 
And I'm forcing and pushing this process just to be a good mum or come across like I'm doing the divorce in the right way, then I fuck up later on. Oh, yeah, you can't. It's got to be, that's what, it's empathy, but empathy for yourself first. Like, what are you feeling? And then what do you need to be compassionate to yourself within this process? What do you need? And um, it's 85% of divorces are filed by women. And it's because of everything you just said, the mom guilt, you know, we, we give and give and give, and then we're just so depleted that there's nothing left. Um, and so you're 1000% correct. You've got to um, take care of yourself and understand, Hey, what is empathy? Like who the hell cares about me ever? Like, what do I need here? And that's what, so living, if you're going to be living in the same house, I'm not saying like you're living as of like the same old family, you actually set up that custody schedule and those boundaries. And if possible, I like it when they're literally nesting, which means like two days a week, dad will go sleep at his buddy's house and just mom's in the house. Dad takes the kids every other weekend and mom is off duty because you've got to have that space that you're talking about. Especially, it seems like the women always say that to me, like, I just can't even decide which end is up. Like I can't breathe. So we've got to set up that breathing space. That's the only way staying in the same house works. Otherwise the women sneak out in the middle of, in the middle of the night. <laughs> <laughs> they sneak, they've got to, because you realize you are going down with the you know, it's, like, it's, it's But it's true. Yeah. Like Vanessa, you see yourself disappearing. It's true. For you me, there was no eyes. difference of me leaving or not. Right. Now, it's literally to save yourself. You've got to move forward in this process and set some boundaries for yourself. Um, That's, it sounds maybe awful. I don't know. Uh, But that I tell moms who are really sad, like my kids are young. I can't imagine not seeing them every day. And I try to urge them to like flip that mindset to be like, be, you are finally going to get some time for yourself. You are going to have two or three nights a week that you know you can see a girlfriend. You know you can get your hair colored, like whatever you need to do, get to the gym. And when we're living together, it's so weird that when when we are in an intact marriage, we feel like we're drowning. But when we get a custody schedule in place, you finally have some time for yourself. Like it shouldn't, that's a whole other conversation about what's wrong with marriage and our gender roles or whatever. But it seems like that's like a weird silver lining of divorce sometimes is that you can breathe a little bit. Mm. I think also I disconnected um, even from my ex because I needed to not judge him with the emotional charge, right? Mm -hmm. So I know it can come across like, oh, you're you're not talking, you're not communicating. And I said, no, I need it so that I know I'm not going to come with it with an emotional charge. And people don't realize that. People think, oh, no, the right thing to do is to communicate. And I said, yes, but everything's going to come from a place of judgment right now, which is not healthy. I need to go, listen, man, I need to be in my cave. I need to be settled. I need to be stable. I need to feel all this. And then guess what? These conversations, even if they happen Mm -hmm. 18 months later, they'll be way better than me trying to rush something. You're exactly right. But you would need like, 
someone like me, ideally you're super self-aware. So you can verbalize that to him. Like, Hey, I'm not ignoring you. I'm not trying to be rude. I need this for me. And then my role as the coach is to validate that for you and to say to him, okay, so we're going to let her go. We're not abandoning the process. If this is actually going to be a good thing when we come back, you know, 18 months might be a long time to ask him to wait, but (laughs) we can do other things in the meantime. You know, we don't have to like totally pause it, but yeah, you're a thousand times. Right. And so what I do as the coach is make sure to everyone, like that's what you would need to feel safe and to be able to process, make sure we're acknowledging what both people are saying they feel like they need. And it makes people feel like they can breathe and they're not under attack. And we're going to take this one step at a time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Regina, I think that um, your process is fantastic and it is, it is something that we should all know more about. Um, I want to go into economics a bit of yeah. what does a coach, what, what do you charge? What, um, what do you charge? How do people that have, that don't have those resources find someone like you or where do they start? Right. Um, how do we really expand on? Because I think um, there are some great, divorce stories out there of people with a lot of money that have resources to do that. But I think there's a lot of kids out there being affected, unfortunately, um, and that are suffering the consequences. So how do we help those women and those men? Yeah, it's so hard because, you know, you don't need to be, you don't need to be a divorce attorney to be a divorce mediator, right? So if, people really are trying to do divorce on a shoestring budget and they want to mediate, um, they could find a mediator. And that's always going to be less money than litigation. But if I don't know like what um, economic level you're talking about here, but I'll just say in um, the Philadelphia metropolitan area where I am and from people I've talked to, this is pretty consistent. Um, Two family law attorneys, each one is going to charge between $3,500 and $5,000 for a retainer. So if you've got even minimal assets or you're afraid about custody and you don't trust your ability to communicate, you feel like you must retain lawyers, that family is going to be out $10,000 before they even go into the courthouse, right? So it's hard to get divorced anywhere where you have assets that is less than that. The... Um, the, you can Google all the forms. So if you don't have assets, if we're just talking about a child support and you know we're in a rental house, we don't have to split that. We can divide bank accounts ourselves. Every courthouse in the United States is going to help the mom or help the dependent spouse through the child support process for free, okay? Or at very minimal cost. So you can get your child support piece of it handled without an attorney. Um, And if you don't have any assets, you can Google those forms and you probably can get divorced for the cost of the filing fee, you know, $300 or less. Um, But where it becomes dangerous is if there's a retirement account you're walking away from, you have a house with your name on it, cars with your name on it. Most people 
don't have, they're, they're somewhere above, you know, $300 or less because they've got 401ks and those sorts of things um, that they want to make sure they get their piece of. You're entitled to all of that. If you've been married, you're entitled. All of that comes into the pot. Okay. You know? Quick question. For someone who's going to do this all over again, mm-hmm. what would you do at the very start now? Going into another marriage, are you, what wait, would you tell people? Are we getting divorced again or are we going into another marriage? Which one is it? <laughs> okay. They've been divorced and now they're getting into another marriage. They're getting into another marriage. Well, at that point, let's assume that that person is in their late 30s, right? Or like we're going into our early 40s. I always think that at that point, people who are going to a second or third marriage, that's when you want to start thinking about a prenuptial agreement. Not so much, um, well, it is to protect your assets, but to also think about the inheritance rights of your children. Because once you're married, your spouse is going to have uh, much more rights to ever, if you die in that marriage without a will or without a prenuptial agreement, your spouse is going to inherit probably more than you want and your kids are going to get less than you would have wanted. So um, I, in my traditional practice, pretty routinely would do prenuptial agreements for people who were in their 40s and even 50s who had you know, assets from their prior divorces that we had to protect for their children's sake. And so I would have, recommend that people think about that. It's what about, what about your individual kids? Yeah, because I, I just think that the process, it can get so messy that what could we do prior to, even if you're just going to get married, even if you're, it's the first time you're getting married or yeah. whatever, what can we do? What can we be aware of so that the process, if God forbid, goes down this way, okay, we have sort of got a good foundation, a good, you know, set up so it doesn't get ugly. Right. Well, you know what? I think. That's a separate question, really, because, you know, the prenuptial agreement, that's a legal document. But I do think, um, you know, the Catholic Church does those pre-Cana classes before you get married, a little bit of premarital counseling. But, you know, I went through that. It didn't help in my situation. I think, um, again, this is like very, we're 21st century. I think people, young adults going into marriage today really need to be educated on this idea of what does empathy for your spouse, what does emotional support really look like within a relationship? And um, this idea of compassion fatigue, it's called, which is why, I'm sorry, my dog, my, my kids just walked back in, but compassion fatigue is I think the key to why women are the ones filing for divorce 85% of the time, that if we were educating our young men about the, the needs of a woman emotionally in this marriage, though, again, this is a vestige that goes back to the middle ages, right? Our men are told, I am a kick-ass provider. I'm working my tail off. The problem is the women are now working their tails off too. And when the men come home, there's a disconnect there. The woman isn't able to communicate. I'm exhausted and I just need your help with this. And, you know, so they go like this. They both feel like they're doing their best, but they just can't meet in the middle. So educating them on that early on, 
I think would go a long way towards preserving marriages, towards reducing um, the divorce rate. I also think that having a conversation on economics and how that looks like in your marriage and what the expectation is between husband and wife, are you going to work? Are you not going to work? Am I going to be able to stay at home my first four years of having a kid or not? Can we afford it? All these conversations need to happen before instead of in the moment of. Yes, you are so right. And it's amazing. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And, you know, obviously we've got to be flexible, but there's got to be some shared expectation or shared vision for your future. Um, did you guys have separate bank accounts? Like I... I was was going to speak about that, actually. I was going to say not just whether I can afford to stay home or go to work, but how much say do I have on the finances? Right. Because you can have a lot of money and you have no say. Yes. And I have clients, I see it both ways. Like my perspective is I felt more secure with a joint account so that I felt like I had access to everything. But then a lot of my clients say, no, I always wanted my own thing because I felt like that gave me independence. Um, I don't know. I think that adds a level of complexity to your marriage when you're like, wait, did you pay the mortgage? Are you paying the electric bill? Um, But I can see how it goes both ways and why women feeling dependent is the scariest thing for them. It's absolutely terrifying. Yes. So... And that's what I try to like this whole staying in the house piece of that and maintaining the status quo as long as we can alleviates that fear because it gives them time to figure out, well, what am I going to have a job? What is that going to look like? What is alimony going to look like um, while they have the safety net of everything staying the same for a little while? Spot on. And I I believe it. it's, it's different from state to state, but yes. usually you don't you don't get in states. Say so usually you don't get what alimony. So you've been alimony unless you've been married for seven years or more. Correct. A certain amount of time, right? So every state is different on that, and that's an easy enough thing for you to Google. Um, I know in Florida right now, there's some kind of um, reform movement afoot to take away their permanent alimony law. Um, In Delaware, it's a formula. You can't get any more than 50% of the length of the marriage. Um, In Pennsylvania, there's alimony is like a maybe there's no law about it. Like it exists, but there's, you're not required to get anything. So it really is a matter of looking it up and kind of knowing what you could expect there also. And the amounts is also a total crapshoot. You have to just really look at what money is there. Is there money available to even pay alimony once everyone's bills are paid? So that's, um, there's, I always say, you know, the TV idea of alimony, like I need to be kept in the manner to which I've become accustomed that what they say on on TV that's like unless again you're dealing with hugely um huge incomes that's not 
something that happens in real life. Both parties are going to have to understand that there's an adjustment there, but it is brief and they bounce back, but it definitely, I mean, you're going from one household to two with the same incomes. Very true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think this is fascinating and you're doing amazing work, amazing, amazing work. How do we get in contact with you? How is, how do people get to get more information on you and, uh, how do we spread the word? Yeah, I have a Facebook page, of course, and um, you can shoot me a DM on Facebook. I have a website. So my business is called Family Transitions Divorce Coaching. Um, and the website is FT for Family Transitions, ftdivorcecoaching.com. And then if you put Family Transitions into Facebook, um, you'll find me that way too, or just Regina DeAngelis into Facebook. You'll um, find me that way. And Instagram, um, Family Transitions on Instagram at Family Transitions. And um, then I, you know, jump on the phone with people and see if, like to your point, Vanessa, to see if what's going on in the house would be a good fit for this program. Because in certain situations where the husband is going to be too vindictive, too um, vengeful, it might not be a good idea. So we sort of have to interview each other as if you were interviewing your regular attorney too. That's really important. And it's such a crucial step. I think this, this if, if we implemented this step before, um, I know people look at it as an extra step, but it would actually save you in the long run. You'd save time and you save money. You save your mental health. You know, you save the whole family situation, your kids. So I think it's really important because, yes, I do look back now and say, yes, I'm a little bit aware of these things. But then, you know, I also look around and have noticed how so many people just jump into this whole, yeah, they're not. Yeah, you know, and um it, it takes years of undoing damage sometimes, you know. And, and I think it comes back around like we don't fully undo it. The kids just repeat that cycle. That's what so. I'm saying. I think sometimes the <laughs> divorce itself causes so much of the trauma later. That's right. Rather than the marriage sort of like you then are also dealing with the trauma of the divorce, you know. Yes. So if you, you can do. sort of go through this process a little bit with more understanding and compassion. Yeah. Like, like a conscious family transition The divorce itself causes them is what I think causes the most damage to the kids, because that's where they're seeing the, um, the trauma that the parents are going through. They're feeling like we don't know who to talk to at the sporting events where, you know, we know mom's upset when I go to dad's that's where the trauma is coming in. And Mm -hmm. so if we can educate the parents about, Hey, this is what, you know, no one's saying you, you need to stay married. You know, that's not the answer that's can be just as bad for the kids. So let's move forward from a place of acceptance and do this in a way that's going to minimize the trauma on the kids model for them, what respect for each other is, what, family, you know, I love that in 2021, like families come in all shapes and sizes, but a blended family or a divorced parents who like each other, that's weird. Like, 
you know, it makes no sense. It's so true. <laughs> it's so true. It's bizarre. I'm like, well, I don't, it's like the last thing where it's okay for us to hate each other, right? Like we can't hate any other human on the planet, but are the person we were married to and have kids with, that's okay. <laughs> and we're like almost expected to, right? It's crazy. So, yeah, I would love for people to um, reach out to me on Facebook or reach, you know, shoot me an email. It's Regina DeAngelis at ftdivorcecoaching.com. Um, and we can figure out, you know, what this process would look like for your family. Regina, thank you so, so much for joining us. Um, it has been an amazing talk. Um, we will have all of Regina's bio and how to reach her down below. If you have any comments, any questions, please feel free to leave them. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Aisha, always a pleasure. Thanks, ladies. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Regina. Thank you. Thanks, Vanessa. See you guys. See ya.